You're listening to CFO Trends, brought to you by Mesh Payments. CFO Trends tackles the critical pains, challenges, and opportunities of today's CFO and finance leaders. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we are talking with Lauren Barr, who is the VP of Finance at Occupier, as she shares her thoughts on setting up a high-performing finance team for startups and why it's important for finance teams and finance leaders to make sure they self-assess of where they are in their startup, scale-up, and business maturity. Welcome, Lauren Barr. Oh, thank you so much. I feel like we have been cooking this up for months, and it's finally here because I I think I met you at a conference maybe two years ago at this point, okay. and then we've just been LinkedIn friends ever since. And so I obviously love watching everything that you're doing as well. And so I'm so excited to be here, finally. Thank you so much. Yeah, to all the listeners, we've been cooking this up. So this meal is about to be, get ready. This is about to be a great meal served up to you. And I'm super excited. So yeah, the, the topic today is setting up a high-performing finance team for startups, right? I, my background has always been in startup scale-up, enterprise-level companies. And I've always come in as like the first finance org- uh, person in an organization, build, mm-hmm. shape, scale, exit, right? I've done that so many different times in my career in leading high growth businesses. So whether that's software technology and other like high growth companies. And it's always, I think right now we're coming into this different recipe of what it means to set up that high performance team, right? We got technology changes. We got talent changes. We got value proposition changes. So there's a lot of different change that finance leaders and finance teams are going through in terms of how you build that high performance inside your team. Lauren, my first question to you is, What are some of those key factors through your experience that you've seen in building high performance teams inside of startup organizations? Yeah, I the first part is a little bit of self-reflection and looking at the business and what the business needs from you. So what are the operational demands? Okay, what is your team going to spend the most of its time on supporting the business? And then another question is, okay, what? can't you get wrong? Okay. There may be just two or three things that you absolutely can't get wrong. What are those? You're going to want to make sure that you have people processes in place to support that short list of items. And that could be different for every business. Maybe you're a medical company and allocations between subsidiaries is important. Okay. For me, not important to me because I only have one subsidiary at Occupier, but For other folks, for me, I really need to make sure that I land quote to cash, that I, like everyone else in the world, wants to get paid fast. Uh, And so how do we make sure that is streamlined as possible versus maybe, hey, accounts payable while it's important to pay your vendors, it's important to pay on time. It doesn't have the same rigor for me versus, you know, a quote to cash. And so I think the first thing is identifying, okay, What can't I mess up here? And once you've outlined those priorities, you can start to build your team and your tech stack around those initiatives. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think a lot of times like, um, and I've, I've, I've had this, right. I've come into finance organizations and I'll, I've always, anytime I've come in, right. And I learned this the hard way, right. I remember the first time I came into a new organization, I was I just led a software company. We got through uh, scale and that was, and I was coming in and I remember coming in like the first 
week, right? I was in my suit. I was like completely different. I was like, I want to make an impact. I'm like, all these great ideas and things I wanted to do. And I remember the CEO of the business sat down with me. And this is like in the first week, Lauren. And it's never a good thing when the you get a meeting pop up with your direct your direct oh. leader about and it was like finance alignment and I was oh, like God. The, I was like in the first week I was like what did I do I'm just doing onboarding I'm doing the onboarding like, stuff and getting my email set up what did I do wrong I'm alive <laughs> yeah, I'm so here I, I walk into the meeting with him and he says hey Chris listen two things right we know that you have all of this experience and you're going to bring such great ideas but. One of the first things that you need to do, and I just want to caution you, and I love how he always say that. He always say, like, I caution you, which is always like that yellow light. It's like, you're not at the red light yet, but you're getting there. He's learn the business first, right? Like, yeah. and this is what exactly what you talked about, right? Go find those processes. Go find those uh, value add things. Is like, what do I not need to mess up? What do I need to make sure that I'm walking into this finance organization to say, what is going right? And I always call it, even a leading fresh FP&A, it's like baseline assessing, right? What are the baselines of where we need? What do I need to get right? What do I need to make sure deliverables are on time? What is that recipe as a baseline that I need to make sure that me or my team does not mess up? And I think that's such a great yeah. pivotal point to start because once you know those things, it's and we all know walking into whether you're the first hire or you're seasoned or maybe you're you know, a VP of finance coming into an organization that's ready to level up their value in terms of leadership. Um, but it's also a way of getting those quick wins. Like wow. when you're coming in, you're just like, you can't hit the home runs first in 30, 90 days. You're just trying to get ad bats and get on the, in the book. And yeah. that could be ways to, to continue to deliver that value is, hey, Chris or Lauren came in and we continue to have a high level business partnership or like you said, the quote to cash process or the invoice to cash or whatever you call it, you mm-hmm. making sure that rhythm wasn't messed up. Yeah, totally. There's so many things that you can do in the first 90 days for quick wins, but I 100% agree with you. The most important thing to do is learn the business yeah. and get out there and talk to as many people as possible because those people are going to be the ones educating you the most about the business. Definitely. Another question I have going on to that is I think when people talk about high performance, it means a lot of different things, right? You ask, you know, a room of 10 different finance leaders what high performance is, and it's a lot of different ways. Some take it technology, some take it like people, some take it as, hey, we get the financial statements done in like day three, right? Yeah, but my my question is pretty nice. That is is good. I've had some companies that we have some clients that's like halfway through the month, and I'm like, what? What? That doesn't make sense. So, my next question is, if you were to define your viewpoint of high performance in the finance organization, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that feel to the business? I think there are certain things that you have to do well, right? There's the base case. You have to close the books. You have to pay people and you have to pay them right and on time. So those are like the level, if you're going to get a C grade, those are the things you have to get, right? Table stakes. Yeah, those are table stakes. Table stakes, exactly. When you start getting B or A level grades, that's when you're actually starting to influence decisions, Mm -hmm. I think, and being able to actually help departments solving things that maybe they have come to you in conversation saying, yeah, these are the things I'm challenged on right now. These are my roadblocks. 
And if you're able to help navigate them through that or talk more about like the business as a whole, I think finance professionals, I think it's a pretty cool gig we've got going on here. Oh, because it's awesome. It's like absolutely so many, awesome. Right? Like you are totally able to see everyone in the organization and how everything is intertwined and connected. And so if you can bring that knowledge to everything, sometimes you're, I don't want to say I'm the glue, we're the glue that holds everything together. But in a way, being able to talk to someone about what they're doing at the job is an important thing. And so yeah. I think that's what really brings you up to that BA level. Yeah. What do you think? Right, let's, let's go a little bit deeper on that. So A-level finance organizations that are driving high performance, right? What What is that? I love how you broke it down. Table stakes. See. Hey, you get the 2.0 in the GPA, right? That's before. Hey, I know there's probably like a bunch of schedules out there, but I, hey, I came from an era there was a 4.0 system and 2.0 was the C, right? And 3.0 was the B, right? When you yeah. think of A, which is those top performing finance teams that you've led, that you built. And that's the key point because there's, I think there's a lot of great C and B finance teams to C and B leaders, right? But I know yeah. you, I follow you. You are definitely that A kind of leader and that build that A kind of finance organization. What are those differentiators? I think the differentiators is actually, this may sound strange, but for me, it's been allowing me to have time with data and have time to think about the business and analyze. And so instead of focusing on monthly journal entries or the operational side of the business, which I definitely have an influence in setting that up and making sure that's successful. Again, table stakes. But I think for me to have more of an influence at my company, what has allowed me the most opportunity to do that is to have time just Mm. with data, analyzing trends and saying, hey, this is unique right here. Bringing that to our co-founders or head of sales or head of marketing and things like that. So that's been the biggest driver for my success. I love it. And I, I would agree a thousand percent. I think one of the biggest differentiators of that A level is that balance of tactical versus strategic execution, totally. right? And when you're when you think about it, let's like, like break this down from and I love the analogy you have from C B A A, right? Yeah. If you're a C performing finance team, you're probably 80, 85, 90% tactical versus strategic balance, right? Totally. 100%. You are, you're in the weeds. You're yeah, you're in the that. weeds. You're doing the ASC 606 commission entries and <laughs> you're reconciling the prepaids and you're downloading. You're in that balance where you're yeah. probably a 90% tactical and 10% strategic, which ultimately creates where you're very reactive to the business, totally, right? Totally, totally. When you get to that B, you're maybe 60, 40. You're, a, you're like, hey, we got a little bit of automation. We got closed pretty much down. Or maybe we have an accounting leader that's really in a tactical execution. And we're like 60-40 between strategic versus 60% tactical, 40% strategic. Mm-hmm. That A-level, you're like the inverse of the C. You're like 80 to 90% strategic and 10 to 20% tactical, right? I love how you mentioned that point because Getting that time to do, that's really a differentiator. I think there's a lot of people that are listening to this that says, Chris, I may be a C player and I want to be an A player, right? And I think the number one thing that you can do to, to, to catapult you to that A level is getting that time back, reshifting the deck to say, where am I spending my time, energy, and effort, and where are my resources and where my team are? And how can we 
bring in whether it's technology or bring in resources mm-hmm. or bring in knowledge exactly. or bring in alignments to help us rebalance that tactical versus strategic balance. Yeah, 100%. I think you have to advocate for yourself and your value as a finance org. And that's the value yeah. is the time and being able to analyze and just things don't happen overnight. And if you don't have time to analyze the data until it's 11 o'clock at night, that analysis probably is not going to be the best. If you do it on Monday and Tuesday and feel a little bit better, then it's probably going to be a better result. And so I highly recommend, especially for startups, even though it may feel, because this is how all finance people are, may feel like, hey, I'm a CPA. I can do these journal entries. It does not take me that much time. It's not that hard. It's not a merit of the fact that you can or can't do it. It's a merit of you should not be focusing on that. That is below your pay grade. You need to focus on more strategic initiatives. I love that, Lauren. And that's great. Yeah, just because you can do it, doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's the right effective use of your time. Right? Totally. And I think this segues to the next question that we talked about, right? We talked about what makes a C, what makes a B, what makes a high-performing finance organization and startups. My next question is, what do you think are some of those challenges that FP&A, finance, accounting, CFO leaders that are trying to build high-performance teams, How? what are some of the challenges that they, man, Chris, I, I face these challenges. That's why I can't move from a C to an A. What are some of those challenges that you see in, in, in your perspective? Yeah, I don't know when this ever goes away, but resources and time constraints yes. always, right? Yes. So you have to ruthless prioritize everything. And I we touched on this and having the value of an accountant fast. Okay, finding that accountant might be hard because this person needs to be a Swiss army knife because... Yeah. They need to be incredibly comfortable with a wide range of activities. They need to be a self-starter. They need to be able to work with ambiguity because they're going to be doing things that they have never done before. And they're probably going to do that all of the time when they work here. And they have to know accounting. And all. so the list goes on and on. The range of people that may be a great fit for that role may be uh, a little bit diminished. But that's the type of person that you need also to help you be successful. Uh, and I think as you start to grow the maturity of the business and the revenue of the business, then you start to bring in these more specialized folks, tax, FBA. Before you get there, you have to like juggle with, okay, I'm going to do FBA, I'm going to do tax. But then I think too, you have to self reflect and say, hey, like what we're going to run the risk here and going blind into some of these areas because. Okay, despite Lauren Barr being a CPA, I don't know. And a superstar. And a superstar. Tax is not her jam. Me too. I had to to take regulations twice. Like, I don't. I I almost left the exam mid-exam because I was like, there is (laughs) no way I am passing this. But somehow, (laughs) I was blessed that day. (laughs) (laughs) But so tax is not my thing. So I know as soon as I go to a place, I'm going to have to outsource it because I don't want the risk of that because I'm definitely going to miss something. And also, I would not like to prioritize my time on tax. Yeah, <laughs> yeah being a, re- a recovering CPA myself, I, I, I did that a long time ago when I was at, in audit. But 
I love how you broke down those challenges and let's go into the, and I think one pretty, like you, you, first when you say resources, yeah. I, I would venture He's to great. say that finance is no longer a, just a cost element. I think we have a lot of capabilities to be a revenue value added producing business, right? But we're always going to have the resource constraint because here's the thing. Yeah. When sales are going great and you're in a high growth startup and sales are going good, you're just like, hire more salespeople. I've never had the opportunity where the CEO, business owner, or founder was like, hire more finance people. Like that's never been the case. So I agree on that resource. And then also, as we talked about in the previous, the time, right? Finding that good balance between strategic and tactical. I would add like a third challenge in there is that expectation setting, right? Mm -hmm. And you talked about this because like, when you're at a startup business and you're the jack of all trades, was that's my jam. I love being the jack of all trades. Like I love like not being a single focused person as is like, hey, I'm only really good at this. I dabble in HR, contract reviews. But also you talked about it is like, I know my gap is anything tax related, right? And I, I can talk about it, but when it gets into the depths of it and how we're treating, and this is where software companies like Occupy become great, right? With ASC, right. ASC A42, right? Exactly. I don't We're, know this. Recovered. I don't know this. It's I'm going to, if you don't know lease accounting, I would tell, I would highly recommend every finance accounting CFO professional, if you're dealing with lease accounting issues and you don't have that expert in-house, go check out right now Occupier. Go check them out. That is everything you need to handle everything around lease accounting, right? But that's where you compliment. And I think that's where that expectation gap and that challenge comes is because, you know, you may be at a startup, but you're the single finance person, right? Mm -hmm. And the CEO, the business owners, maybe your board, maybe the investment people, they expect you to do everything. And you got to say, look, I am not like the best. I can't be the best in everything, but I want to bring more resources. Maybe it's contract resources. Maybe it's fractional resources to say, I need to have that empowerment and that enablement to bring on the skills, passions, talents, and expertise that I need to help cover the gaps. And I just think exactly. a lot of finance people don't step up and say that. They don't right. raise their hand as, hey, I need help. Like, I, these finance people are wearing super uh, hero capes. Like, I can do it all. Yeah. You can. You could. You can. But maybe you shouldn't. Definitely. And I think it is that balance, right? And in yeah, totally. the high performance teams, you move so fast, right? I think all the different software companies and startup companies I've been a part of when you reach that scale up, it's a critical point. And that's where you talked about this other point in maturity. And I want to go into that piece of it, right? When you continue, like when you're a seed company, you go to startup, you go to scale up is like always like my favorite place because that's where the momentum is there. That's mm -hmm. where you start to really see a lot of the foundations that you set in the finance organization really start to accelerate, right? Yeah. So when you think about how does that financial maturity change as you move from a startup to a scale-up and maybe to getting to that enterprise level? I think the financial maturity changes as, as you start to grow the company. Yeah. I think processes naturally start to break more. And so you might have to have more people in charge of not breaking those things. Yeah. And so I don't know, especially for us, we're experimenting a lot. And so we have to be nimble with reacting to our sales, our marketing, how our product team works together. And so the things that I'm building now, while I would love for them to be the foundation for success, I know that they may not be what carries us through to be D. IPO and things like that, because 
of how fast our business is moving. And so the maturity, I think of it as, okay, at what point do you need to get additional things right? When you started the startup, you had two or three things. As you grow, you're going to need four, five, six, seven things right. Hey, if you IPO, welcome to controls. You're going to have to start doing that. And the list gets bigger and bigger. And that's why you have to have people that support those things. Yeah. And I think that's, that is, as you continue, and I love your analogy where you said, as you continue to mature in your finance organization and as your business continues to mature, you're going to start uncovering, ooh, like we didn't do this one right. We got to, yeah. and the thing about it is, I think this is the thing I love about always being in startup scale-ups and seeing it, that startup and, and, and scale-up phase is like, now you have the opportunity and it gets back to the first point that you mentioned. You have to go back and self-reflect, right? You have totally. to look back and say, hey, what got us to a series A level and maybe it's $80 million of revenue, that's not going to be that may not even be the same leadership team in the organization. That may, yeah. that may not even be the same value proposition inside the finance team to get us to that next level. And you got to come to that harsh reality and say, hey, I know for us to get to that next level, I need to bring on people that have more core competencies in business collaboration or are great communicators or people that have a great data technology insight that they can provide to the business. Because what got us to is I needed people that were curious to scrappy, right? That's what got us yeah, to this level. Yeah. So that recognition and to that self-awareness and self-reflection, as you mentioned, that you got to take that point. I think at different phases, as I built teams and got us to scale and ultimately to acquisition, I've always looked at different transitions and I call them moments in time where mm -hmm. it's, hey, this is the moment of time and season that we're in. What have we already harvested in this season? And what other seeds that we need to plant inside of people or maybe technology or processes or value or performance? What other seeds do we need to be thinking about? That way, when we get to this next season, we already have those seeds and we be it's harvest and it's going to start giving us the value inside the business. And that's a great point. Totally. Totally. It's, even when you're thinking about people, I yeah. like how you said the, the first people are the warriors who can do it all. And even if you can have a A player that can give B-level support to everything that they need to do, and at a certain point, okay, you say, actually, I need an A player in this role or this role based on those priorities. Mm -hmm. And I think once you hit those certain inflection points, you'll know, hopefully you can stop it before something bad happens, right? You, you, <laughs> yeah. wanna, you don't want to crash, yeah. crash and burn, but it's just feeling that out and when that happens. Yeah. And I think that's really an important point because a lot of finance leaders, right? We get to a certain point and we feel like we can do everything, right? And yeah, we, totally. think our team, we think our team can do everything. And then you get the CEO or the chief revenue officer and they're like, hey, you got it to this point. You guys did everything. Why do you need an extra person? Yeah, Why, do you need, totally. you need a Why do you need like data analytics? Why do you need this? Right. Because and I think it's always making sure we make that case of, yes, we needed that in this season. But now if we want to per continue to provide the value, if we want to continue to make the impact across the business and you, we want to continue to be looked at as those strategic finance partners, this is what we need. And coming to the right. table with that, you, sales does it, marketing does it. Yeah, all, totally. all the other functional elements are like, this is what I need to get to here. I think we need to take the same approach. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Hey, so one last question I have, and I ask every guest this, and I'm curious to know this from you. What is your number one hot finance trend and why? Gosh. 
I don't know if this is a finance trend, but I think just the pure amount of new software vendors there are out there to support finance and accounting is so exciting because they've identified, hey, we're ripe for change and they're motivated to start businesses to support us. And hey, Five years ago, maybe you only had one or two AP vendors. Now you have, I don't know, 10, 12, 15, so many, whatever you go to conferences, there, there's so many of them there. But I think it's exciting, not because I want to use all of them, but because people are trying to make the lives of accountants better. And I can stand with that. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I think that's the holy balance, the great balance that we're seeing Mm -hmm. right now is like, you're starting to see technology adoption at the tactical level. It ties back to what we talked about, right? If you're mm-hmm. trying to have those resources constraints and you can't go invest and hire more people, but you want to find that time that you can get back, which gives you more time to go from C well, to be more strategic. I can't tell you how many different vendors there are around or the cash and AP. Yeah. A lot of these tactical areas where it, it bogs a lot of people down, there is countless solutions out there that are leveraging predictive and prescriptive analytics and right. that can help complement your ERP system and just, hey, yeah. I can go find a technology partner to help me automate and give me the resource expertise and the time back to my team. So I definitely agree. That technology landscape is super exciting right now. Yeah, it's very exciting. Even if you're grappling with, oh, but I have to do an implementation. Yeah. Sometimes you have to downshift to accelerate, right? And Hopefully they've got the implementation figured out. And so I think it's could be worth it a lot. Definitely, of times. definitely. Hey Lloyd, thank you so much for taking time out on CFO Trends. I've deeply enjoyed this conversation. I know we can talk about so many other different things, but if people want to learn more about you, if they want to connect with you more, learn more about Occupier and how your organization can help them standardize and understand their least accounting and standards, where can people learn more about you? Yeah. So for Occupier, you can go online to Occupier.com. We have some amazing lease accounting resources out there. We have a memo. We have amortization schedules. We have a ton of really awesome stuff there. If you want to connect with me, you can follow me on LinkedIn. It's LinkedIn.com backslash low L-O bar B-A-H-R. And then I also have a podcast that I release every Friday. It gives you little tidbits, five minutes or less on things that are going on in my world. And it's called the Low Bar Finance Podcast. Nice. Yeah. And I would highly recommend all those accounting, finance, FPNA, CFO professionals. Go connect with Lori. Go follow her on LinkedIn. I have absolutely been behind the scenes and been a complete fan of everything that you're doing. Love everything and the leadership and just authenticity that you bring to the finance organization at Occupier as well, too. Lauren, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being part of CFO Trades. Thanks for having me so much. Awesome. Thank you for listening in. Join us for our next episode, where I'll be talking with Lance Rubin, founder of Model Citizen, as we talk about the fresh future for CFOs.